Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are broadcasting live this week from Mackinac Island for the Detroit Regional Chamber Mackinac Policy Conference. It's a week-long meeting of politicians, business leaders, and other public officials from Detroit and across the state. And of course, there is also a lot of media here. We have a lot of interesting people lined up to talk to this week, and we're going to start our show here with Senator Gary Peters. It's fitting we start with one of the major players representing us in Washington, D.C., as new questions emerged over the weekend about how the federal government is handling families who come to the country illegally. Reports showed children, some as young as babies, Babies are separated from their parents and are at times lost in a system that won't reconnect them indefinitely. It's a type of purgatory or maybe a type of hell that has been thrust upon these families seeking a better life. Senator Gary Peters, welcome to Detroit Today. Great to be with you, Stephen. Yeah, so let's start with those stories. I know there are a number of different things going on here the more I read about this, and some of it's being conflated all into the same uh, the same story, but but let's start with you just explaining what is going on and why we're seeing the things that we're seeing. You mean relation to the children? These and children, the, sure. Yeah, well, what happens uh, if folks are coming across uh, the border and they are being detained and they have uh, children, uh, they uh, are separated because the, the parents are the ones that are are uh, violating uh, U.S. law. It's not mm-hmm. the children. The children right. are coming across. They have no choice in the matter. They're going to be there with their parents. So they get separated and, and then goes to the Department of Health and uh, Human Services uh, yeah. to take care of them. Right. Uh, but it's uh, questionable as to how long, as you mentioned in the opening segment, how long is that? When will they be reunited? When is there an opportunity for them to, to see their mother or their mm-hmm. father, particularly if they're incredibly uh, young children? Mm-hmm. You know, it's an issue that we deal with not just for folks coming across the border, but anyone who's, uh, if you're convicted of a crime and you have a a youngster at the home, uh, the, the state will take that youngster and, and make sure that that person is, is kept safe sure. uh, and is in a position where they're going to be uh, taken care of. But there's also due process to make sure that those children still have the opportunity to be with their parents. And those are the questions that are being raised. Uh, we raised uh, those questions to the Homeland Security Director just a couple of weeks ago. Uh-huh. Uh, we're expecting uh, some more detailed answers uh, from them. And uh, I've been a little frustrated because we haven't received those yet. So. Uh, You know, I think there is a sort of reflexive instinct right now among a lot of people just to blame the president for things that go wrong in in our in our government. And, you know, he he probably courts a lot of that through his behavior. But I think it's also important to sort of, you know, wait and and actually take in what the facts are before you before you jump to that conclusion. Is this something that is a function of a policy that this president has enacted or embraced, or is this something that has been going on for a long time and we're just now noticing? Yeah, I think. Well, I think it's a little bit of uh, a both, but it has been a long time policy that that children are not going to be with their their parents uh, if they are uh, being charged with some sort of uh, crime. Right. And if you're coming across the border without proper documentation, you're undocumented, that's considered a a criminal action, but certainly the children are not guilty of that. Uh It'd be no different than if you were arrested uh, in uh, in Michigan somewhere for whatever the crime is and you have a and a you had your children, children with you back home uh, the what's what's going to happen to the children now they'll you know it's different if it's here is that normally the agency will find a relative a close relative or a grandma grandpa you know sister uh, of or aunt or uncle rather to take care of it 
you don't have those options when someone's coming across from the border and, right. and their family may also be underground in some aspects. Mm -hmm. And so it's a different kind of look mm -hmm. when you're dealing with folks who don't have an extended family that can step in to make sure that that child is being taken care of. Yeah. And so it does become more institutional in the fact that there's a government agency now that becomes responsible for taking care of that youngster until the process uh, works its way through the system. And so is there a fix for this? Is there something that could change that would make this look a little more humane to people I, who are watching? And I think that's what we want to find uh, an answer to that so that uh, these children are not just cut off from from their parents and are then effectively cut off from any family relations from what's, anything. whatsoever. You yeah. know, you, yeah, if you're a citizen here, uh, you, you may end up uh, spending time with your aunt or uncle, yeah. but it's still a, a loving member of your family. Uh, that may not be an option for someone coming across the border, and I think people are looking at that uh, intuitively as that there needs to be an opportunity for that child to be around a, a loving uh, adult uh, parent uh, or a relative. Right, right. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Gary Peters. Democratic Senator from the state of Michigan. We are talking in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island. We are all up here for the Detroit Regional Chamber Mackinac Policy Conference, and we are going to be talking to lots of folks all week about issues in our state. We'll talk to politicians and business leaders and other public officials. Uh, Gary, I'm going to talk about this new Harvard study that shows nearly 4,700 people were actually killed in Puerto Rico by Hurricane Maria. We had thought it was 64 people. That, I mean, this is a mind-blowing discrepancy. Um, and, it, and it sort of lends itself to this idea that we still don't quite have the right response, I guess, to Puerto Rico, right? And the, the citizens there, the idea that they're Americans. Uh, that's a lot of people, first of all. I mean, that's and it's, it's an unbelievable number. But this idea that for so long we labored under the belief that there wasn't that that much uh, carnage from from this is is it's really disturbing. Well, it is uh, it is incredibly disturbing, and certainly uh, throughout the process, we knew uh, that the response was not quick enough, that yeah. it was not robust enough. But part of the the issue uh, is the fact that you have an infrastructure in Puerto Rico. Uh, that simply wasn't up to dealing with right. uh, a hurricane. That's right. You know, if you look at what happened uh, in Florida, uh, we had also a very strong hurricane, mm -hmm. but uh, the damage wasn't uh, as severe, and, mm -hmm. the, and the casualties weren't severe because they have building codes that required buildings to be built differently. The electric power grid was built differently. Right. And that didn't happen in Puerto Rico, so you knew it was a, a disaster waiting to happen. So now I think the important thing, because these are Americans, they're yes. part of our country, right. is that when we do the rebuilding, you just can't rebuild what it used to be. You have to rebuild to the kinds Better. of standards that yeah. it'll be sustainable. Yeah. And that does cost more money in the short run, but in the long run, you save money. And in this case, you literally will save thousands of people's lives. Uh, are we doing that? Are we going to build Puerto Rico back uh, better than it was before? Uh, it's uh, The jury's still out. Yeah. Uh, we're pushing hard to make sure the resources are there. It's not there. I, I, back to the, the president, I don't see the kind of commitment uh, from this administration uh, to do that. Uh, but uh, that's what we have done in other disasters around uh, the country. When Florida rebuilt, uh, mm -hmm. they rebuilt it stronger. When New Orleans built, they yeah. built it re stronger. Texas is building it stronger. 
Uh, that's what we have done in every other uh, national disaster, understanding that, uh, especially now and with climate change, yeah. you're likely to see the severity of storms uh, are going to increase. So mm -hmm. this situation's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And we need to be prepared and be willing to put those dollars in the short run up. You know, it's part of the problem that that Puerto Rico is not represented in Washington the way a state would uh, would be, for instance. I mean, they have enough of an advocacy voice in this conversation for themselves? Well, they, they have representatives, but they don't have votes. They don't so have votes. They don't have vote, uh, yeah. and so uh, they have a voice, but you could certainly argue that uh, having a vote is better than not having <laughs> no, a vote. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and that is probably, uh, definitely plays uh, in part of it uh, as well. But yeah. uh, And you have an administration that doesn't seem to be focused uh, at all on some of the plight of uh, Puerto Rico. And yeah. there's no electoral consequences uh, for an administration and, uh, to not pay attention to, to Puerto Rico. At least they don't perceive that. Although I would argue there are a lot of Puerto Ricans that live in the United States proper and have become residents of Florida and sure. other places and are now yeah. voting in those areas. And, yeah. and they remember where their family, uh, they remember where they grew up and they remember where, where, where their family uh, currently is. So yeah. uh, hopefully uh, folks will realize uh, that you have to treat people the way they are entitled and these are these are Americans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about North Korea. The president says now summit's off. I'm not going to meet with uh, Kim Jong-un. Uh, I, I never thought it was a great idea in the first place. Uh, I, I think I, I continue to believe that when we're dealing with these kinds of international negotiations that, that the president is mismatched in a lot of ways. Am I, am I, am I wrong in assessing it that way? Well, I think, uh, uh, one, uh, step back, it's always good to talk. Yeah. Uh, well, talk is okay. always a good thing. So we want to have... But no uh, president has no. agreed to sit down with the leader of North Korea uh, outside of extraordinary conditions that, that, that they would never agree to meet. And this president says, no, I'm going to do it different. Well, and, uh, and you don't want to elevate uh, the leadership in uh, North Korea and give them that audience until they... Uh, act a little more responsibly than they sure, have, and sure. certainly before you have a, a diplomatic meeting between principals, uh, you, uh, that's what the U.S. State Department does. You meet with folks uh, in North Korea, uh, have a, a number of uh, discussions uh, about where you're trying to go mm -hmm. uh, to get there, and then hopefully you can finalize it with a, a president uh, meeting uh, uh, there. But uh, you, it, this is not easy, it's comprehensive, and you got to be uh, very careful in your approach. And he's not being careful, I no. guess, is my, my chief concern. He's very cavalier about the way he talks about this, the, these things. He's cavalier about the idea of, you know, the precedent that's, uh, that attends that relationship. He just wants to toss it all to the side. I don't feel like that's going to serve as well. No, and, I, and I'm very worried about that as well. And, and when you're dealing with North Korea, the, the thing to always uh, remember, you're dealing with another very complex situation and one that has significant strategic implications for the United States, right. and that's China. Yes, when right. you, you can't talk about North Korea and not have China in the discussion as well. Uh, the Chinese, I think, are behind some of the moves that you see with North Korea as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that one thing uh, the Chinese would love to have is have the United States pull its troops out of uh, South Korea. Mm -hmm. You know, China wants to be the preeminent uh, influence uh, in the Pacific, yeah. uh, and uh, that means the United States is nowhere there. Uh, that has broad implications for our national policy, for trade policy, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for our economy. Uh, this is really complex stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't know if the president's up to understanding that he's uh, not just dealing with North Korea, he's dealing with China. 
And Chinese are very sophisticated in their approach uh, in particularly the Pacific region, yes. but now increasingly across the globe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same thing with the Iran deal, I feel. Uh, the president is not seeing the bigger picture. He says, okay, we're going to pull out of that because I don't like the terms. Uh, but he's not, I think, putting together that there's, you know, there's a series of dominoes that, that sit behind that that could all fall. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, the thing that's uh, most troubling to me is that, you know, Iran was uh, living up to the deal. Uh, I sit on the Armed Services Committee. Yes. Uh -huh. uh, we have the, the leading uh, military leaders before our committee on a regular basis, mm -hmm. uh, including Secretary Mattis and others. But one question that's, I think, asked at every single hearing of uh, any major military figure is, uh, is that, was the Iran deal something that we should stay in? And right. The answer was always yes. Yeah. But the next question was Iran living up to their part of the bargain. And we could argue about the bargain, how it was made, and certainly long term, I think we have issues. We should be addressing with some of those right. shortfalls that I think were in the deal long term. But in the short run, right. it's prevented uh, the development of a nuclear weapon uh, in Iran. They were living to uh, their side of the bargain. And to have the United States then to come back and say, well, we're, we're out of it. Uh, what kind of trust does that build in the world community? Can, yeah. can the United States word, word be trusted? And if it can't, that has serious negative the repercussions for sure. all of our negotiations. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Gary Peters, the Democratic Senator from the state of Michigan. We are talking in the dining room of the Grand Hotel on Mackinac Island, where the Detroit Regional Chamber Mackinac Policy Conference is just beginning all week. We'll be talking to the politicians and business leaders and other public officials from Detroit and across the state. Uh, Gary, you're up here talking about mobility and Michigan's role in the future of transportation. Uh, I saw you speak about that yesterday, and I, I think it's fair to describe you as a little giddy when you talk <laughs> about this subject. This is not just uh, uh, work for you. You're really excited about this. Well, I am, uh, I'm excited about uh, uh, the future uh, and what uh, mobility and, and self-driving cars is just one part yeah. of what is, I think, and I think I mentioned it yesterday, is probably one of the most exciting times in human history to live. When you think of where we are on the verge of technological scientific breakthroughs, whether it's machine learning, artificial intelligence, yeah. which is what guides these self-driving automobiles, yes. whether it's uh, synthetic biology and CRISPR technology will, that will likely allow us to cure diseases we never thought we would be able to cure. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I think I mentioned, you know, we'll have nanobots in right. our bloodstream. In our bloodstream, right? That will be able to predict, <laughs> like, you're on, you may have a heart attack uh, in a day, right. you better go to a hospital now, right. uh, and, and that will save lives as well. So it is, uh, it's an exciting time, but with all of that excitement, uh, uh, also, uh, presents a lot of challenges it too does. and it we does. need to be thinking about those challenges in a way different than we've done in the past and primarily because of the speed of innovation as this continues to accelerate public policy which is not known for evolving very quickly right has to change yeah uh, are, are we in Michigan taking proper advantage of our historical advantage in for instance manufacturing and uh, the auto industry of course uh, the shift to technology 
is, is an opportunity for us. Are we doing enough to, to make sure that we stay at the forefront of that? Well, we do, we do need to do more. Let me answer yeah. it that way. But uh, uh, we have to because this is critical for the future. And, you know, you talk about the, the shift uh, and why we have a competitive advantage. You know, I was out in, in uh, Silicon Valley a couple of years ago. I remember this meeting very vividly as we were talking about self-driving cars. And yeah. I was with a tech company that's doing the machine learning, artificial intelligence yeah. systems to yeah. pilot the cars. Yeah. And they were saying, uh, you know, we, we do all of this computer work. We thought maybe we just build the cars uh, ourselves, too. Mm -hmm. And then we went to Detroit. And then we went to an auto factory. And we thought, <laughs> wow, that's a, that's a pretty complicated business. <laughs> right. You know, maybe we need to partner with the folks in Michigan. Uh, yeah. And now that's what we're seeing. Uh, and we need to partner with folks on Silicon Valley side. But what's happening in our state, uh, because you want to be near where the manufacturing happens, any kind of innovation wants to be by the manufacturing process. Uh, that's why you're seeing these companies like Google and, and uh, NVIDIA and Cisco mm -hmm. and Microsoft, mm -hmm. they're opening operations uh, here in Michigan yes. as well. Yeah. And the exciting thing for me is that that means we won't just be the center of advanced manufacturing, as important as that is, we'll also be the center for advanced uh, artificial intelligence, yeah. which is without question the next big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Senator Gary Peters, it's always great to see you. Always great to be with you. Thanks for being here. Take care. Up next, we are going to be joined by Nikolai Vidi, the head of the Detroit Public Schools Community District. As also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you. Listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.